When buying or selling a business, there are a lot of points to consider. From a tax standpoint, to hiring the right employees and management team, especially if you won't be involved in the daily operations of the business, you need to set realistic goals. Analyze how the business is performing and make sure that everyone in your business has a common direction in mind. Welcome to The Michael Saunders Show. Host Michael Saunders and co-host Warren Whitus are here to answer your questions with a high level of expertise and knowledgeable guests. Now, here are Michael and Warren. Welcome this week to The Michael Saunders Show. Our special guest, we have two this week, we have Robert Beatty. He's a retired IRS agent since uh, 2005. And a young lady will, will also join us later in the third segment, uh, Kimber A. Lee, who's an author, actress, and producer. Uh, but right now we have Robert here with us. And as I said, Robert is a retired IRS appeals agent. Uh, Robert no longer works for the government in any way, shape, or form, and is not speaking on behalf of the U.S. government tonight. So, But what he is going to comment on is last week's uh, segment, we had uh, Kent Hovind, um, on and there was quite a few things he said that we were kind of taken back. So um, we we know that Robert has been following him and his case and all the other antics he's been up to, and he's gonna he's gonna talk about that tonight and kind of set us straight. So Robert, if you don't mind, go ahead and take off, and I assume you're gonna start with the structuring part of his his case and. He said, I, I, didn't, I didn't structure anything. That's for, drug, that's for the drug lords, not me. So, thank you, thank you for inviting me on. I noticed in following Kent Hovind last week that he broadcast his interview with you. And I started listening to some of that, and it was pretty much the same old script he was following. So, I, I stopped the the replay, and then later went back knowing that in most of Kent's presentations, when he has the chance, he gets into talking about his false legal narrative. That's my characterization over the time I've studied him, and sure enough, he did not disappoint. He covered that quite uh, typically. And as you mentioned, structuring, uh, Kent has indicated, is the key to understanding his legal problems. And he lies about it. Uh, I think it's, it's clear that lie is an appropriate label. But if you don't want to call it a lie, that's fine. His claim about what structuring is as it relates to his criminal case is false. And just about anybody should be able to figure that out if simply presented with the facts. In his program with you, in his interview, Kent claimed, as he typically has claimed and his people have claimed over the years, that structuring involves two or more transaction in, in a single day each less than $10,000 in cash, but which together total more than $10,000. He never gives any reference to support that, and there is none uh, as far as it relates to his criminal case. And the law and the regulations 
clearly show that what Kent has repeatedly admitted to in his case is sufficient to convict him of the crime of structuring. And I will say this, if you make two cash transactions of less than $10,000 in one day that total over 10000 in an effort to bypass the bank reporting rules, that's structuring, but that's not all structuring is. And I can quickly refer you to the law if you'd like me at this point. Sure, go ahead. We would, thank you. In uh, Title 31, <clears throat> the United States Code, Section 5324, uh, this is an edited excerpt for the substance of what it says. No person shall, for the purpose of evading the reporting requirements of Section 5313A or 5325, or any regulation prescribed under any such section, structure, or assist in structuring, or attempt to structure, or assist in structuring, any transaction with one or more domestic financial institutions. The reference to 5313 is the bank reporting rule. Banks are required to report cash transactions of $10,000 or more, or more than $10,000. And that's what Kent was avoiding or trying to avoid in taking regular cash amounts out of his bank account under 10000 9500 9600 on a regular basis. And he wound up with 45 individual charges of structuring for each of those withdrawals a week or two weeks apart over a period of time. And Kent refers to the law, and for the purist, it may be important to note that Congress, in their wisdom, sometimes doesn't like to make the decision. And so they write a law, and they tell the Treasury or IRS now tell the people what this is. <laughs> and so it is with structuring. The law is clear. Structuring is against the law, against that particular provision of the law. But you have to go to the regulation as Congress directed to find out what it is. And so here's, here's what it says about structuring. And listen to what it says as compared to Kent's claim that it takes two or more deposit, two or more transactions under $10,000 in one day that total over $10,000. From the regulation, 103.11, a person structures a transaction if that person, acting alone or in conjunction with or on behalf of other persons, conducts or attempts to conduct one or more transactions in currency in any amount at one or more financial institutions on one or more days in any manner 
for purposes of evading the reporting requirements. In any manner includes, but is not limited to, the breaking down of a single sum of currency exceeding $10,000 into smaller sums, including sums at or below 10000 or the conduct of a transaction or series of currency transactions, including transactions at or below $10,000. The transaction or transactions, the transaction, or transactions, plural, need not exceed the $10,000 reporting threshold at any single financial institution on any single day in order to constitute structuring within the meaning of this definition. <clears throat> That's what Kent was charged with. The regulation clearly says one transaction under $10,000 on one day in an attempt to thwart the bank reporting rules is structuring. That's why there's 45 charges against Kent. There could have been more, but they settled on the 45 that's listed in the indictment. Each, <coughs> each of those transactions standing alone constituted an act of structuring. Now, Robert, let me ask you a quick question. Is that what, is that what got him the nine and a half years or 10 years, whatever the number was? Is, is that part of the structuring or is it more his lack of uh, saying, yes, I, I did this, I'm guilty. Um, I think I, he denied it through the whole process that he, yeah, he never, he never admitted that he was guilty of that. And, I find the sentencing kind of peculiar. Uh, I can read parts of it here in a minute, and you may pick up on that. But he had his 12 counts of employment tax violations and 45 counts of uh, structuring, structuring yeah. plus an obstruction of justice charge. And... The, the 10 years, in essence, covers the employment tax and structuring. Uh, another aspect of his false legal narrative, which he brings up in your interview, is that he claims he was set up to get a six-month sentence, and the judge was so upset with him and thought he was worth a rapist and all of that stuff that she said, I'm going to just give you 10 years. That's not the way it works. You can't find any indication of such a scenario in the transcripts. And the law itself provides that structuring alone carries a five-year sentence, potential five-year sentence. And if it's in conjunction with other crimes, you can double that to 10 years. So he was potentially looking at 10 years on each charge. Oh. But anybody with enough life experience will realize that when it comes to sentencing, it gets complicated, more complicated than that. There's a lot of factors that go in and scoring and this and that. They went through all that in Kent's case 
And the judge, you might say, did him a favor by stopping at 10 years. Mm -hmm. She also gave him three years on the obstruction charge, but the structuring charge and sentence was concurrent with the 10 years, so it didn't really matter. He got yeah. 10 years. So his explanation of structuring to us was that that was for um, that was a drug law. That was for the drug lords or people who uh, are in the drug uh, distribution business, and which didn't. Of course, he's never taken a drug in his life. So why why would you try to convict me on a drug law? He likes that's part of his standard <laughs> script and false legal narrative. Uh, if you go back into the history of the law. You know, certainly that's part of the backdrop in which the law was passed. But if, if Kent's right, somehow in the wisdom of Congress, they forgot all about including a line in the statute about don't apply this to tax cheating Baptists. <laughs> it's not for, per se, drug dealers. It's for people that use our financial institutions to advance their criminal activities. It's the way to have a check on, on the cash that may be floating around and not being reported for tax purposes and may be indicative of other crimes that need some enforcement effort. So it's just part of his false legal narrative to claim they used a drug law against me. I don't use drugs. Therefore, the indictment was flawed. Correct. Let me ask you a question. His legal team, where were they during all this that was coming down? Surely they stepped up and probably crawling and probably talked to his their clients and say, you need to stop talking. This is what we're here for, or did he even have a good legal team? It doesn't well, sound like he did, or he was not <laughs> listening to them to keep his mouth shut. That's what they do. That's what they're paid, getting paid to do. Where was that standing at, this, at that time? It's also interesting that the judge in sentencing him makes reference to this fellow named Glenn Stahl out of Washington State who – has a criminal history himself, uh, or at least a history of sanctions for promoting a phony uh, tax evasion paperwork. Uh, trusts in particular. Kent had him come in and try to put his business activities under these phony religious trusts, and that's part of the investigation of his criminal activity was to develop the case as to why those are not bona fide trusts. Uh, they don't work. It's all Kent Hovind. And so when he went to trial, interestingly enough, he, he wound up having two lawyers, one for him, one for his wife, both whom he shopped around for to make sure that they would give him the services he desired uh, as far as trying to protect him. Uh, and if you look those people up, you'll see they've kind of got a checkered history themselves. The attorney for his wife is actually also the attorney in Kent's tax court case, an oft-disciplined attorney. 
And you would think it's not that hard on a simple little tax case, even if it's a criminal tax case in the Florida panhandle, to find a legitimate defense attorney. But Kent went to Illinois, I think it was, to find one of them and, excuse me, to Washington State to find the other one. And this is part of the reason I also claim, without fear of successful rebuttal, that Kent Hovind, Hovind sent his wife to prison. He hired her attorney to do what he wanted done. And he didn't want his wife talking. He certainly didn't want her making a deal. And she'd been stuck with him under his thumb for 30 years or more. And so she did keep her mouth shut all the way to the point of not putting on a defense, not making a deal, and going to prison for nine months or so. That's fascinating. That's, yeah. that's, that's crazy fascinating. Well, this is a great stopping point for us. Uh, we've, we've got to take a quick break here, and, and then we'll be back in just a few, few minutes. But um, we'll just use this as our stopping point, and we'll pick back up in about 60 seconds. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reingold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Michael Saunders Show. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. That's sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. Now, back to The Michael Saunders Show. 
Welcome back to the Michael Saunders Show. Our special guest tonight is Robert Beatty, uh, your host, Michael Saunders, Jesse Jameson, and myself, Warren Whitus. We're here also, and we're getting an education tonight on Mr. Kent Hoven. So we're going to go back to Robert and let him expand on some of the things that he disagreed with when uh, Kent was with us last week. So, Robert, if you don't mind, uh, please go ahead and uh, and uh, take take away take it away. Thank you. I'm an old man. Don't even remember where we stopped. But <laughs> we were talking about the legal proceedings in Kent's case, and if you'll give me a couple of minutes. One of the things I referenced was the sentencing portion of the trial. Right. And the judge in that case spent a considerable amount of time explaining her reasoning after everybody got to testify uh, on Kent's behalf and the government got in their two cents as to what they thought. And this is just the, the final part of where the judge is rendering her sentence, which might help clarify some of the details and perspective. And you might watch for anywhere in here you think the word rape could fit. I don't think it does, but you listen and see if you pick it up anywhere. From Judge Rogers, from the sentencing transcript, I received letters from many of you expressing the view that sometimes those convicted of heinous crimes are subject to less time than Mr. Hovind is facing in this case. This is a serious case, serious charges, serious conduct. Make no mistake about it. By your conduct in this case, Mr. Hovind, in my opinion, you dishonored the men and women in our military, you dishonor your fellow Americans, and you dishonored the Constitution of the United States. All right, I'm prepared now to go forward with the sentence. I have a final order of forfeiture that's been presented by the government, and I have signed that pursuant to the preliminary order of forfeiture that has already been entered, and that is based on the forfeiture finding of the jury in this case. Mr. Hovind, please rise. All right. At this time, Mr. Hovind, I do formally adjudicate you guilty of counts 1 through 58 of the indictment. And that is consistent with the jury's finding of guilt as to each of those counts. Pursuant to the Sentencing Reform Act of 1984 and all amendments, it is the judgment of the court that the defendant, Kent E. Hovind, is hereby committed to the custody of the Bureau of Prisons to be imprisoned for a term of 120 months. That is comprised of 60 months as to count 1 through 56, all of which run concurrent, 57, 60 months, that makes up to 10 years, excuse me, consecutive as to count 57, so that's 5 plus 5, and 36 months concurrent as to count 58 which results in the sentence of 120 months, which is within the guideline range. I do also. I want to note that this sentence is at the high end of the guideline range. 
and that it is due to aggravating factors that I find present in this case, which include, but are not limited, to the number of obstructive acts that are involved in this case, which include personal attacks against Mr. Scott Schneider and Miss Poe, or Powie, I'm sorry if I mispronounce that, the revenue officer. Scott Snyder was a criminal investigator. Your personal attacks against those employees of the Internal Revenue Service were intended as personal attacks, and they are intended to smear their reputation and to ruin their careers. This type of behavior is continued. It is reflected in the tapes that we heard played here today. There is also the continued efforts to obstruct by hiding and concealing your assets in the face of this sentence, which would presumably include fines and most assuredly would include restitution. Hey, Mr. Beatty, before you go on, can you just tell us a little bit? You said a little nugget there that was interesting. What did he do to the FBI agents? Was he... Well, it's a IRS. Uh, Scott Snyder is an IRS criminal investigator, or was. I haven't followed his career. I don't know where he is now. But interestingly enough, he took a, uh, a special assignment to investigate the accounting of Saddam Hussein when that was going on back in the day. Hmm. And so you can you can Google that and see he got some press about going over to Iraq and and investigating the accounting of Saddam Hussein, came back and investigated Kent. Uh, but he was a, a, a criminal investigator, and let me uh, see what I got here. Because it said there in the part that you read that the uh, court had listened to some sort of audio tapes. So on these Those audio the tapes, was, was Kent <clears throat> making, was he, was he making threats to the FBI agents? Well, those were the jailhouse tapes where he was still trying to maneuver and hide assets and stuff right up until <laughs> the sentencing, practically. Uh, the obstructive acts are, are listed in the indictment, cover some of that. Uh, he filed a petition for bankruptcy, falsely listing the IRS as his only creditor for the sole purpose of discharging the debt and forcing the IRS to release seized property. That false bankruptcy claim was dismissed, so it didn't work. Uh, filing false and frivolous lawsuits against the IRS in which he demanded damages for criminal trespass and other false allegations uh, during the IRS execution of a lawful court-issued search warrant. Filing a complaint for a preliminary injunction against an investigating IRS special agent making threats to harm those investigating him and those who may consider cooperating with them, filing a false complaint against investigating IRS agents with the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration, filing criminal complaint against investigating special agents, falsely alleging, among other things, false arrest, false imprisonment, excessive use of force, theft to property, destroying records, paying his employees in cash and labeling them missionaries rather than employees to avoid the payroll tax. Uh, one of the specific cases that I researched involved uh, 
Scott Snyder serving a summons on Kent's son during the investigation. Scott went out to serve Eric Hovind the summons. Eric wasn't there, so he he met with Eric's wife, who was like nine months pregnant at the time, chit-chatted with her a little bit, and left the summons for Eric with her, which is legitimate. Kent got Eric to join with him in filing a federal lawsuit against Snyder, alleging that Scott, in talking to Eric's wife and serving that summons, put her and the unborn baby at risk. Of course, that lawsuit didn't go anywhere, but it was filed. And it's it's part of the techniques these people use whenever the government's around. It's file this, file that. That's why they call it paper terrorism when it comes to understanding the sovereign citizen movement. Kent's good at filing papers. He he was mentioning that when they came in the house, supposedly on what he would call the raid, that they SWAT kept at the SWAT team, that they kept asking, what was it, Warren, for CD number five or tape number five? Yeah, Is that, I now, I've, I've actually gone through some of these tapes through my years of watching Kent Hovind videos. Is that one where maybe he talks about, you know, things you can do to avoid, you know, this and that when, with regards to taxes. I, I believe that's the one. Sometimes there's some dispute about which tape number it is. But Kent normally says it's tape number five where I speak against evolution uh, and ties that into the Nazis and other people, I guess. And they wanted to shut me up teaching against evolution. But I think the reason they wanted to get copies of that tape, whichever number it was, to have the original copy is because in that tape Kent does go into his anti-tax anti-government spiel and again I call it a false legal narrative because what Kent is saying as the reason for why they wanted it is not the reason Kent has a vested interest particularly in light of his new last days theology to be a victim and so it's important to him that the government shut him up for teaching about religion instead of being a criminal. Well, there, you know as well as I do that he's got a big following, so I would imagine if he did publicly admit to being a criminal and doing these acts uh, the way the FBI or the government you know, paints it out, uh, if he agreed with that, I, I'd imagine half of his, of his flock would leave right away and the other half would slowly leave over time so I think what you say there has a lot of weight you know he's in a peculiar position where you know he's already done his time so he already did the tough part right so now all he has to do is just kind of keep everything held together um, you know what's interesting Mr. Beatty I don't know you you also sent us some information about yourself and you said that since the 90s you've kind of been into the creation and science debate um, what what side do you take on on that debate? Are you are you open to the creationist side, or do you see it well, from an evolutionary standpoint? I'm a theist, and so in a sense, there's a creation point involved in all of that. Uh, I have sometimes told people that you know once the preachers resolve the age issue, then they can work on the evolution issue. My my claim is everybody accepts evolution. 
It's just a matter of in what degree and over what period of time. And so it, it's not a real big issue for me, except I have dealt with it and deal with it. And I have even a, uh, I have an atheism Facebook page as well as a creationism Facebook page that reflects my personal approach to fundamentally dealing with those issues. I don't have a problem with somebody that tells me, I read Genesis and it's clear that nothing's more than 6,000 years old. And so the question comes up to test what they think about their position. If some things really are substantially older than 6,000 years old, and we can tell so without reading the Bible, would you consider the Bible is wrong or would you consider you've misinterpreted the Bible? And depending on how they answer that question, I have a specific logical argument that can be worked through, which ultimately comes to the conclusion and shows why the young earthers have lost the scientific debate. That being, it's theology and not science. They have their interpretation of the Bible, and that trumps everything else. Right. And while they try to cover it with scientific gar jargon and discussions and disputes, ultimately the reason they cannot be reached is because you could have the best scientific objective argument from the real world and yeah, but I've got my interpretation of the Bible. I'm sticking with it rather than that evidence. There's something wrong there. And understanding that makes it a lot easier. You don't have to dig into the complex scientific details. Few people are really competent enough to do that properly. So I've made it easy for myself and whoever else might be so inclined to understand the debate. Not that we get it resolved for anybody else, but for ourselves, we can understand what's going on. Do you talk about that on your Facebook page? And if so, can you share your Facebook handle with the listeners? Uh, my atheism page is atheism, atheism one-on-one critical thinking exercise. And my creationism page is creationism one-on-one critical thinking exercise. Very, very good. And then I uh, read a little bit about you on the Kent's Worst Nightmare oh, no. uh, page. <laughs> hey, you know, the reality is we enjoyed having Kent on last week. We learned a lot, but we didn't learn the whole picture. And Warren and Michael, I don't know if you agree, but Robert really has helped kind of fill in a lot of the gaps that I never really even thought of. And so my thinking is, is I think we should definitely give both Robert another chance to come back on and share more. I hope he will we, be open to that. We and, will. I, and I would also like for us to reach back out to Kent Hoven. And if you're a Kent Hoven fan and you're listening, uh, you know, please feel free to have him call me. He knows how to reach me. And me and Warren and, and Michael have absolutely no qualms with him coming on. And uh, Robert, you, you wouldn't mind, you know, having some one-on-one -on -one debate time with him on, on some of these issues. Yeah. No, we, I'm, I've always been available. Uh, Kent's always been unwilling but Kent if you're out there I don't bite come around we can discuss these things <laughs> well 
That sounds like you've issued him a challenge to come on and debate. So we'll see, we'll see if, he, if he calls us and says, well, yeah, I'd love to be back on the show. But either way, we'd love to have you back on the show anyway, Robert, as, as we said or, earlier. I mean, I think uh, your, your knowledge of all this really has enlightened all of us. I mean, it's, it's changed my, my opinion quite a bit. I, I, I figured uh, Dr. Kent was a little bit shady, but now you've just enforced that by saying, yeah, he is a little bit shady, and these are the things he was trying to do. So, Well, you've been very informative on every aspect of this, and I, I know myself, I've learned a lot more from you than having him on all this time. It, it's just to me how he even thought that any of this was going to be acceptable. And of course he paid for thinking that way. You know, he spent time in prison and some of his, the things he say, I, sometimes I wonder if he's just saying it for shock value oh, yeah. or, or, or trying to get his case, but knowing that nobody's, you know, he goes such an extreme in what he is saying that you, even if you sort of thought, Maybe he might have something there. He goes so extreme on it that you just back off and go, okay, this is going nowhere. And he sounds like he's a very smart man, but I wonder why he goes to the shock value instead of trying to have a good explanation of what he's trying to say. It's like he just spurts it out there and everybody take it or leave it. When I listened to him, when we had him on. Michael, we got to. I don't mean to interrupt you, but we have to go to break yeah, about 10 okay. seconds ago. But okay. Mr. Beatty, we are going to keep you on the line after we uh, go to break here, and we're going to get okay. your information and hopefully have you come back on. So uh, let's go to break, and yep. everybody stay tuned. We'll be back for more. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You 
You're listening to The Michael Saunders Show. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. That's sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. Now, back to The Michael Saunders Show. Welcome back to The Michael Saunders Show. Uh, Gosh, we just had a great uh, interview with Robert Beatty, the ex-IRS agent on Kent uh, Coven's activities and his life in general. Um, In our third segment here, we have a young lady, Kimberly, who has written a book, Greta Garb Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) That is not the name, Kimberly. Oh, okay. Is that the name? It is. Okay, I was wrong. I apologize. Say that name again. (laughs) Greta Garb Bitch. Which is actually, I, I saw today, it's on Amazon's best-selling books. So Yay! congratulations. Yay! Yeah. congratulations. Welcome We're, to the Michael Saunders yeah. Show. Yeah. So, uh, well, tell us, tell us about your life, Greta. I mean, you're not Greta. But tell us about your <laughs> life, Kimberly. Yeah. Well, actually, I was Greta Garbage most of my life growing up. And uh, not that I wanted to be by choice, but it makes a great title for a book. And so, um, so when I was growing up, my grandfather would tell me wonderful stories about the famed Hollywood actress from the 1930s, Greta Garbo. And he had pictures of her hanging on the wall, and she was just absolutely stunning. And my grandfather would say, honey, when you grow up, you're going to be just like her. So I couldn't wait to go home and tell my mother that my grandfather thought I was good enough to be just like Greta Garbo. And when I ran home and told her that, she looked at me and she said, sweetheart, you will never be anything but a bitch, a Greta Garbage. (laughs) And it pretty much destroyed me. Uh, But again, the greatest in the greatest of evil and, and dysfunction comes one of our greatest gifts, if you know what to look for. And so again, I say it makes a great title for a book. And this is my true story. Well, great. Um, so when you, when you moved to Hawaii, that was kind of the motivation. Your husband kind of motivated you to write the book. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and some of the things that are in the book itself? Sure. So uh, being on, uh, I'm originally from Arizona, most of my adult life lived there. and I was in entertainment. I was producing movies, acting in film and producing television shows and winning awards and doing journalism. And I was very active in the entertainment genre. And I moved to the island and you hear nothing, maybe some birds tweaking. And there's really nothing to do here. And I was bored. I didn't know what to do. I told my husband, I love you, but I don't know if I can live here. (laughs) And he said, why don't you write a book? Nobody ever has to read it. Nobody ever has to see it. Just put your thoughts on paper and see where it takes you. And I wrote for the first year. I was writing what I thought was something else, and it turned out to be the book Greta Garbage. And I couldn't wait to give it to my mentor. I was so proud of it, and it was going to go live on Amazon the next day. And he said, Kimber, you cannot publish that book. I said, Summers, why? He said, it's horrible. So, of course, I cried. I put the book away. I quit for three whole weeks. And then something happened. I got sick and I picked the book back up and it took another year and eight revisions later. And I came up with this phenomenal true story that 
as soon as it went live on Facebook, it went best-selling in its category, and it has remained in the Kindle and paperback version best-selling off and on since September 1st of this year. That is wonderful. Incredible. That is great. You said you originally uh, were from Arizona. I am uh, an Arizona native as well. I always assumed Hawaii would be the best place ever, but you actually were a little bored there, huh? Well, yeah, because uh, Arizona has beautiful, beautiful sunsets, as you know, and so does Hawaii. And Arizona has its own kind of magic and beauty to it and and hawaii does too so i my heart is in both places but if i had to have a choice i would definitely stay on the island i wouldn't move back to arizona but i do go back there quite often to promote the book and to uh, still be available to act in movies etc by the way, you promised you're going to be coming down next week to Arizona, so I hope you come down and visit me. That'll be awesome. Oh, um, I will, I'm definitely going to stop in, and uh, I'll have a copy of the book. If, if you would like to have one, I'll bring you a copy of the book. And by the way, the book continues. It, it, it contains not only information about my own life, but there are formulas in there if you're looking to have a life change for yourself. I have a 30-day challenge in there because we always want other people to change. It's your problem. You're messed up. My relationship sucks because of you. I don't have a great family because of my father, etc. But, but really, change yourself. See how difficult that is to do. Change one aspect of you for 30 days and you'll never point another finger. Hmm. That's interesting. God, I I keep trying to get the motivation to start a gym membership. We have gym guys. We have gym memberships out here for as low as 10 bucks a month. 10 bucks. Yeah. And I still can't get motivated to go. I don't know what it is, but I think it's the traffic because at the end of the day, I'm just like, no, I, this traffic is killing me. Um, but I'm so glad I can tell genuinely when I, when I see your, your face, Kimber, and I know that the audience at home can't see your face, but I'm sure the guys would agree. You look happy. Sometimes you can just see a person and just tell that their soul is happy. I see that with Warren and Michael, too. You guys, I just feel like we're all a bunch of happy uh, people. And uh, tell us a little bit about your website and, and tell us a little bit, you know, where they can find your book. I know you said Amazon.com. Is it also available? Well, it's a bestseller on Amazon.com, so you can't yes, miss that Yes, it's one of the best-selling categories on Amazon.com. The book was published by BRC Publishing. Dr. Brenda Combs. She also has a book on Amazon called Finding My Shoes. But if you go to my website, K-I-M-B-E-R-A-L-E-I-G-H.com, you can uh, read a little bit more about me, my background as an actress, as a producer, as a journalist, and now an author trying to go through all of the letters of the alphabet for a title <laughs> before I um there's also videos on there. There's pictures of the events that I have been to. And if you scroll down on the page and you see the book cover, click on it. It will take you right to Amazon where you can order the book. And we're really excited because we're going to be doing an audio version. It'll basically be like the director's cut. So there are some things that are not in the book that will be in the audio version. And I would invite the listeners uh, of the show 
that if you have any questions for Kimberly, you can feel free to send us an email. And Kimber, do you have a place on your website if somebody wanted to send a general email just to kind of lend support or to ask questions? Absolutely. There is a contact page. We have an events page. We have an about me page. I also have a page with the wow factor. If you're interested in knowing what the wow factor is, it's basically if you're describing your life to someone and they don't say, wow, you need to come and see me. Hmm. All the way in Hawaii. <laughs> All the way in Hawaii. So, Kimberly, let me ask a quick question. How, how long were you exposed to this abuse? I mean, was it till you moved out at whatever age? I don't know. I mean, was this yes. a, a lifetime of abuse and non-support? Or was it just a bad day that mom was having? Yeah, a bad, bad day after a gallon of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Baca. Yeah. So, uh, from the age of three and a half until... The last time I saw her when she walked out, I was 16. I took a beating every day. Oh. Physical, physical or verbal? Uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental. And mm -hmm. it wasn't just at the hands of my mother. It was at the hands of her mother. And I had sex several sexual abusers throughout my youth. And then you think that you are changing and you're growing and you're learning and then you just carry on into your next relationship. And of course I'm a woman, so that includes a man. And uh, I just kept finding myself on a path of this person is not good until I learned that I had to change me wholeheartedly. And I did that, and like I said, the book contains formulas and guides for you, the reader, to change something in your life that is has you stuck. Hmm. Interesting. That's very interesting. Did you come to a point when you, you were being physically abused as far as whippings and stuff like that, on a daily basis, did you find later that you become a stronger person for yourself, what you could do and what you could do to try to change what was going on, even though it was going on every day. You knew that you could take it because you've been taking it every day and you were going to make changes. Did you ever feel that way? There, there was one beating in particular that I wrote about in the book, that that actual beating which I didn't think I was going to make it through. And they always happened at night, in the middle of the night, when you're dead asleep or you're awake waiting for that beating to happen. But this particular moment in the book that I write about, and I can't tell you what it is, else you won't order the book, but it saved my life. And it, I understood through that experience that my life was going to be very difficult. But also there was a moment, a revelation in there that kept me going. And it was real. It's magical. It does exist. And it's there for us to call upon. Hmm. I agree with you 100%. Well, you know what's interesting, and, and I, I know that Michael may not want me to say this on the show, but both Michael and I had abusive fathers. And we, you know, we talk about it from time to time. Some of the things that we went through is my father was an alcoholic. Uh, I don't believe Michael's was, but uh, we, uh, we came out as, uh, I know, at least I know I could speak for myself, as a very angry person 
in my early years. Of course, and I, and I played football uh, in high school and college, so that kind of helped me there because I was a very angry person. But as I got older, I figured out, it's like, well, you can't let the past guide you the rest of your life because, you know, you're not going to be a good person. And um, so I've kind of put that in my past. But I, I actually, I really do want to read your book because I've got two X's and they always say it was my fault. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think that. I think it was your fault. It was so not your made, fault, Warren. It's it not was my their fault. fault. <laughs> How can a kind, loving person like me to be my fault? I agree. Yeah, from what I from what I know, that. it's got to be the ex's fault. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. Kimber, I, I had a read the book. So Warren, I'm Warren. I'm so glad that you shared that. And Michael, I I, I feel that for you both. Let me tell you my scenario. My father was never in my life. I met him once when I was five. We went fishing. Now, why do I mention that? Well, my mother had a boyfriend, and this boyfriend one night and her were drinking and arguing. He ended up teeing off and just beating the living daylights out of her right in front of her five-year-old son, which just happened to be me. So what I did is that was in their room, and I'm literally watching this man on top of my mom just pummeling her, and he was a 300-pound construction worker, so he was really a strong, big guy. I'm heading down the hallway to get out the front door so I can go to the neighbor's house. This is before cell phones and stuff. And heck, I'm not even sure if 911 was around in all areas back then. But I'm knocking on this door wondering if a 300-pound man is about to kill me from behind. And the thing that's so scary about abuse, whether it's physical or verbal or whatever, is it really does leave an imprint or a mark on people. So what's my positive story from that? Well, I'm 43, Kimber, and I'm happy to say that I've never hit a woman in my life. I've been in fights when, you know, back in the school days with other boys that were relatively my same size. I was never a bullier. So I guess, you know, if I did have to find a silver lining in my dark cloud of a story, it would just be that I learned from an early age that I would never want anyone to put their arms or their hands on my mom or my daughter, and therefore I'm not going to. So just know that while there are abusive people out there, Kimber, there's also people like you, me, Warren, and Michael that, that believe in, in good, righteous things. You know what I mean? So, you know, for every bad person out there, there I believe there's multiple good people, you know, or at least that's how I, I try to, you know, look at life. You Michael, know, you look like you're itching to say something, Michael. Yes, what are you going to say? I just, uh, it, you, you, I had such an experience like Warren said, except I was beat every day. Not because I did something wrong, but because my family, my father owned the construction company, all the kids were into it, not me. Uh, so I got stuck taking care of the farm and the ranch. But when the whippings were come, I used to jump around and all that. And I got to where, you know what? I'm not going to give that satisfaction. I took it. I would stand there and take it. My poor mother would go away from where it was happening. And I told myself, I'm going to survive this. And I did until my father actually would get tired. He'd be worn out from whipping me. He had a big black belt. So I learned from that. And I also learned I've got to get out of here and find my life. And that's when I become a beach boy. And working on the beach in Panama City Beach, I sold more suntan lotion. My first 15, I was 15 years old. Did anybody ever sold? Now I said, well, how'd you do it? It's called motivation. 
you're I such a you're, you're you're such a naturally cool mellow guy too that's what's so neat when you only on your show you only show a concerned side but the reality is you're a wonderful happy individual and we and me and warren love you to death so well, i Kimber, will tell you this before we get off i want to tell you one thing you know two things that i've got two near-death experiences and it's been taken up for children and women i would still do it again even though i was nearly killed i would not hesitate for some man beating on a woman and child it's just unacceptable in my opinion i'm sorry for saying well, th- thanks for I that michael because i i know the i know the 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 instances that you're talking about but you know what our segment is basically over and, and yeah really well i just thank Greta, you Greta Garbage, everybody. Yeah, Greta Garbage. Greta Garbage. <laughs> and it's on amazon it's their best-selling books and Check it out. Uh, we really we really appreciate you uh, uh coming on the show and uh thank you very much and i hope it sells well and then when you're in arizona Drop in and see our, our friend Jesse because he, That's right. he, he's quite a guy, and we, we really enjoy working with him every week. And he, well, he don't takes- forget about Dallas, Texas. Y'all come down here now. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, visit Lesden and Associates. That's visit right. Amazon.com and check out uh, Greta Garbage by Kimber Lee. And uh, that's L-E-I-G-H. You won't be disappointed. Everybody, we love you. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you, Kimber. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed and learned from this edition of The Michael Saunders Show. Please join Michael and co-host Warren Whitus again next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, have an amazing week. And thanks again for listening.